Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 84 with Rob Walling of the Founder Podcast. Discover exactly what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur and what's possible through entrepreneurship from the greatest minds in business today. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Here's your host, Nathan Chan. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, FreshBooks the cloud accounting solution for small service-based business owners with over 5 million users worldwide. They're an absolutely amazing product and I highly recommend them to you guys. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host. I am the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and it's really, really awesome to have you listening and sharing your earbuds with me. Now, before we talk about today's episode, I just want to give you a quick update with uh, where I'm at. Um, so pretty much, I just came back from a little bit of a holiday, a little bit of a conference slash speaking session at the Tropical Think Tank in the Philippines. And what was really, really interesting was just the power of in-person stuff. I'd never been to many conferences before and I had some amazing takeaways, learned a whole ton, met a whole ton of cool people and uh, it, I'm super, super re-energized and back and ready to roll and absolutely crush 2016. So, you know, I guess like any good uh, horse, you need to send your horse to the paddock and, uh, you know, you can't race it every single week and I was pretty burnt out so I took some much needed break And uh, now I'm super re-energized and very, very excited to get back into the swing of things. So about today's episode, it's with a guy called Rob Walling, and he's the founder of an email marketing company called Drip. And Rob shares with us so much gold around email marketing, customer acquisition, bootstrapped versus venture-funded startups. Uh, He's a very, very proud bootstrapped Uh, entrepreneur and he's bootstrapped many companies, exited many companies and he's just a very, very great teacher and knows so much when it comes to starting a company, building it, growing it and then at the end of the spectrum, selling it. So I know you're going to get a lot of value from this one. Me and Rob talk about a lot of things that I guess I've never really touched on in the show. So Yeah, guys, look, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps more than you can imagine. And please do tell your friends, spread the word. You know, if you have any friends that are interested in entrepreneurship or they are entrepreneurs, please do let them know about the show. I'd love for you if you could do that for me. Every little bit helps. All right, guys, now let's jump into the show. So the first question I'll ask you is, the question we ask everyone that comes on is, how do you get your job? Oh, interesting. How do you get my job? How did you get your job? 
how did I get my job? It was, you know, more than a decade of stair-stepping my way up the ladder of basically launching small products and figuring, fumbling my way around, figuring things out, and then parlaying that knowledge and that revenue from that small product. And I mean, products making hundreds of dollars a month, very small, into ones that then made a few thousand a month, and then some that made tens of thousands a month. And that's how I found myself here. It, it, gen, it genuinely feels like just this kind of steady stair-step you know, journey. Okay, interesting. And uh, what is your background? My background is in software development, but I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial bent. I did sell comic books and candy in junior high, and I wrote booklets. This is before the, the, really the internet, so it was instead of ebooks, I wrote actual physical booklets on topics like comic book collecting and just things that I felt like I had expertise in, and I sold them through classified ads in, in little local penny saver things. And I always wanted to start some type of tech company. And, um, that was, that was kind of how I got here. Awesome. And, uh, can you take us back to, I guess, so were you working a a day job, uh, as, as a software developer and then you kind of yep. made that transition? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, did you start with your, your blog? Like, um, how did it all start, man? Yeah, you know, I made two transitions, really. I made one from salaried employment to basically consulting slash freelance, which was a a really nice shift for me because it gave me a little more time and location independence because it was all remote work so I could live anywhere in the States. But the bigger jump and the one that I thirsted for more and took, you know, way too long, but it was took me about maybe six or seven years from the time I really started trying to do it was the jump into products to where I was making a full-time income. And then I truly had that freedom of like your own boss because then you don't have clients anymore, right? You don't have someone who, who can dictate that. And um, that happened in like 2008, 2009. And uh, it was something I'd been wanting for for decades but had really only been going after it for like i said maybe six or seven years in a way that where i was actually making progress on it i see and can you tell us like walk us through like um you know i guess your product roadmap you know what what has been you know what did you start first you know you've got you've got a series of of companies drip hit tail you've Mm -hmm. got a you know micropreneur.com you've got so like a community you've got a Mm -hmm. podcast uh it's it's very very popular startups for the rest of us so you've worked on many many different things i'd love to hear you know just that chronological order of how things come about yeah, that that makes sense. It's a good question. I do a lot, or I'm involved in a lot, but that that definitely didn't happen overnight. Um, it really started about a decade ago in 2005, and it's as you referenced earlier. It started with my blog, and I just started writing down uh, my thoughts as a developer working for a full time gig for a company, and I was giving thoughts about that. And really, what I built a little bit of an audience, but it, it wasn't that interesting. And as soon as I started making the shift into the entrepreneurial thinking and started going after being a bootstrapped software entrepreneur, that's when I saw the, the exponential growth of the audience right away and, or within a few months. And the big turning point was right around 2005 because before that I had launched some little efforts and really had spent a lot of time didn't know what I was doing and I was too too caught up in the kind of the Silicon Valley mindset I'll say um, I live here in California and 
I, you know, I was reading Inc. Magazine and Business 2.0 and Entrepreneur Magazine and all those, the press, basically, TechCrunch. I don't know if it was around then, but that kind of stuff. And it just, it fills your head with the, the thought that in order to do a software company, you need to launch some billion-dollar business and, and raise funding. And that's what I, I kept making poor choices because of that. And it was in 2005 that I was going to build my own niche software product. I decided like invoicing software of some kind. And I stumbled across this little software application that was in alpha. It was pretty much pre pre-release. They'd taken pre-orders, but they really hadn't shipped code that worked. And the, it was two developers and they were looking for marketing assistance. And I knew just enough about marketing online to be dangerous. And instead of partnering with them, I acquired it from them. So I acquired the code base and, uh, you know, I paid $11,000 for it, which was a lot of money for me at the time. And that was my first insight into, whoa, this can work. Like, you know, it started making a couple hundred dollars a month. I later grew it into the two to two to 3000 pretty consistently. It got up to five at some points, but that was the click for me of like, oh, I don't need that many more of these little apps to basically live full time on them, you know, even in California. And so the, the shift happened there. And that also happened in the blog, because once I had that, I talked about it on the blog, the inside story of a small software acquisition is what I called the, it was a series of posts. And that went to the top of Hacker News, all three of them, people started following me as someone who was doing some interesting and unique things. And it wasn't I didn't intentionally go out to do that, it kind of evolved. And then once I had that, I learned, you know, just enough marketing skills, some SEO, some AdWords, a little bit of paid advertising. Then I parlayed that and I acquired a number of other little sites. One was an e-commerce site that sold beach towels. It ranked high in Google, which is why I acquired it. There was one called CMS Themer that was more of a productized service, help people build themes from, from their designs. I had a couple ebooks that I acquired and bonsai trees and, you know, some other random things. I was really just trying to cobble together a portfolio. I know yeah. it's completely random. And I was just trying to cobble together enough of a portfolio that I was able to stop consulting. That was my goal. I see. And then what happened next? When did you get onto to Hittel? Was that your first major? That was the the biggest app. To be honest, most of the apps that I acquired were the biggest app that I did at the time. You know, I was really I was trying to stair step my way up and trying to grow in experience and kind of in magnitude. And so I'm acquiring these things until I hit my full time income in about two thousand late two thousand eight. Right. So it really took me about three years from the time I started hitting it hard. And that's right around the time that people started asking me so many questions on the blog that I, I couldn't answer them. And I started realizing, you know, there's a book in here. I, I know enough now to be able to talk. I'm, I'm working full time for myself with product income. A lot of developers want to do this. There, there's some knowledge here. And so I sat down and wrote the book called Start Small, Stay Small, A Developer's Guide to Launching a Startup. And that became kind of the first foray into something beyond the blog, you know, because up till then it was purely just the blog. And later out of that came micropreneur.com, which is a, a kind of an online membership website for folks who are interested in that space. And then um, we launched the conference in 2011 called MicroConf. It's all the same audience, right? It's, it's people who want to self-fund software companies and startups. And it wasn't until 2011 that I acquired Hittail. Um, because I was so busy from about 2009 to 2000, halfway through 2011, I wrote the book, launched the book, supported the book. Then I got a bunch of speaking invitations. So I was, you know, flying around the country doing speaking in between managing my apps and then launched 
uh, microconf and you know I was busy right launched the membership website and so we launched the podcast actually I started partnering up with Mike Tabor at that point who co-hosts the podcast in microconf with me and um, started so the rest of us I think started in 2010 and so I was busy just doing that side of the business I really have two sides of what I do I have the actual software companies that I run and then I have the community side right the teaching which is the book the blog the podcast the conference and everything. And in 2011, I kind of came out the other end of the the teaching stuff in terms of the other side of, I was like, okay, I've, I've been teaching a lot and now I'm ready to now level up my experience level and get new experiences that are bigger, more risky, more interesting. And that was when I acquired Hittail, which was uh, which is a, a SaaS app that I recently sold actually. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, are you able to talk about the sale? A little bit. I mean, I'm under NDA. Unfortunately, it was, I owned it for about four and a half years. I grew the app during that time. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I can't talk about the purchase price or anything like that. But it, it I, I sold to, in order to focus on what became my next act, which is, as you mentioned earlier, it's called Drip. And that's uh, email marketing automation software. And uh, that's now, I'm actually building a team around that because everything I did up till then was solo, including Hittail. I mean, it was just me with a few contractors. Yeah. And Hittail gave me the flexibility then and the skills and the confidence and the knowledge to work with a developer launch drip. And now we're, you know, this is, it's in a big space, right? It's this marketing automation, email marketing space. And so we, we are a team of five and we're hiring a couple more people right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, Drip. I've I've known of it for a long time. I've seen it around, and uh, how's that all going? Like that's so you're really, really, really big on self-funding your your startup, whether whatever the idea, even software. And and I'm curious before we even get into Drip, like why is that? So. It's interesting. I'm not, I won't say I'm anti-funding because there are times and places to raise funding. There are certain ideas that can't be done without funding, especially like B2C, you know, business consumer stuff and these, these huge ideas. But what I am against is the mindset and, and the kind of the culture of the press of saying, of acting like the only businesses that matter are the funded businesses. Because most of the businesses that, that even software companies are, not in the Silicon Valley and New York, Manhattan, and, uh, and and Seattle and Boston. They're all over the world in these places where you can't raise funding, right? I mean, if you live in the middle of Indiana, you're going to have a really tough time raising funding. You're probably going to have to move to a major city, uproot your family, probably going to have to work 70, 80 hour weeks. You might have to give up a board seat. You might give up control of your company. There's just a lot that you have to give up to do that. And it's for a small chance at a huge paycheck. And that small chance is so tiny, so tiny. You know, I have friends who are, uh, not even friends, but acquaintances who are spending more time building their slide decks than they are building their businesses. And that's a that's kind of a heartbreak to me because they're talented people. And so that's why I like the self-funding or the bootstrap side of it is from day one, you're building something to provide value to someone that they're willing to pay for. And and you're building what I consider more of a real business than kind of this, this dreamy unicorn goal. Yeah, I see. And and what about when it comes to scale, man? Yeah, that's actually the point where I believe funding is a good choice. Like if, you know, you see these, these SaaS apps and they, they grow to, let's say, a million dollar annual run rate and they have their systems down, they know they're at product market fit, and now they know they just need to hire more salespeople, hire more engineers. 
raise funding at that point. That's a great time to raise funding. You know, if you insert a dollar in this side, you get $4 out of that side, you've proven it. You're done. Now just scale that thing to $100 million, but or $50 million or wherever you want to go. But it's a lot of people I find are trying to ask for permission, right? They want an excuse to not do it because launching is scary. And they're almost like looking for someone to give them permission. In other words, a venture capitalist or an angel. Here, have this money. Yes, I validate your idea. Now go do this. And I would encourage you that if you're in that boat, like, Think about what you can do on your own now without having to get someone else's permission. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really great point. Because, you know, for some founders, it would be quite a daunting process, I guess, to hand over a portion of your company, know that, you know, if you do raise a round and, and that somebody else owns, you know, a share in your business, they want to get a return and it just adds so much more pressure. Plus, you kind of have to, you know, report and and you have to, you know, do uh, at least, uh, you know, do do like a check in, you know, at least every few months of letting that investor or you know the people that are giving you money, like wh where things are at, and and I know that that isn't something that people always want. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that folks may not know that going into this process. They may not know the downsides of it. And they may think, well, boy, someone's going to write me a big check. And this is going to be this great, you know, uh, a movie montage like we see in, in the social network or, you know, some movie that shows Steve Jobs suddenly being world famous. And people want the power or they want, some people want the fun and the journey and the power and they want to somehow see themselves on the cover of a magazine. But there are a lot of folks who maybe don't want the boss, like you said. Like I consider investors kind of your boss. I mean, they aren't yeah. directly, but if they have control, then they are essentially you've you've traded, you know, you haven't you haven't built freedom out of it. You've more built a, like a job with a boss. And that's where I think, you know, self-funding, if you can pull it off, uh, and a lot of folks that I, I work with do, that's where you you know, you can have you can go after your quality of life. You can take some time off at a certain point. Like there was about an eight or 10 month period amidst this. This was about 2010, actually. We had our second child and I basically worked between 12 and 16 hours a week while he was growing up, you know, from the time he was born until about 10 months. Then I was really raring to go. And that's when I, we did MicroConf and HitTail. I couldn't have done that if I'd raised funding, right? You can't be a CEO of a funded company and do that, but I did have the flexibility. And so I, it's something I wouldn't trade. Now, with that said, I, I'm not saying I would never take funding because there, I would take it under my, I would just have to fit my terms, right? I'm Rob Walling and this is how I run companies and are you willing to be on board with, with what I'm doing? I've also, I've started to angel invest. So I'm definitely not against, you know, the, the, the idea of funding, but when I'm, I'm angel investing in essentially people who have bootstrapped to revenue already, you know, the, they're making uh, they're at a 80,000 a year or a couple hundred thousand a year run rate. So they've already made it past that early hurdle. I know that they execute. The app ideas are good. I mean, it's, it's, it's just different, different mindset. I'm not throwing $5,000 or something, 10,000 in the new Facebook. I'm putting some money into something that's, you know, charging a dollar amount and, and really just needs the money to kind of start scaling up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. So tell us about Drip. You know, where where you guys at with that? You said you said you sold Hittail to focus on Drip. So this is a SaaS that uh, you know. What 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 are your goals? Where are you guys at currently? Like I said, I I'm quite familiar with the platform. Um, some of my mm -hmm. friends use it. Can you tell tell our audience more about it? Yeah, we launched it about 
three, well, let's see. I think we started working on it about three years ago. We launched it about two and a half years ago. It's, uh, I have a co-founder named Derek, and he wrote all the code from the start. And then recently, we've hired some folks. So we're, at, as I said, we're at five employees. We should be at seven here in the next month. I purposefully, unlike a funded company, because once you raise funding, they really encourage you to just raise headcount, you know, higher, higher, higher. Yeah. And we are, we are the opposite. We are trying to be pretty capital efficient as a self-funded app. And so even though our revenue is is growing at a really nice pace, um, you know, we've been growing between 10 and 15% every month for as long as I can, as long as I can remember, you know, let's say eight, 12 to 18 months. So even though we have that growth, we uh, still don't, I don't consider headcount some type of bragging right, you know. And we are in the the space. We were originally in e- the email marketing space, which is more, you know, let's say MailChimp, Constant Contact. And we quickly realized that everybody wanted automation. The more sophisticated email marketers who were looking ahead, they wanted to be able to tag people and move people in and out of lists based on behavior and do lead scoring and that kind of stuff that only Infusionsoft and Entreport and these more expensive tools could do. And so that we moved into that space more about a year and a half ago now. And that really ignited the growth because we became an easier to use tool for the companies, you know, it's, it's SaaS companies, information marketers, consultants who were previously basically paying for like Infusionsoft or Pardot or that stuff. So we're easier to use, we're less expensive. And, and we really kind of found our, found our niche, so to speak, between the, you know, between the, the players like MailChimp, AWeber, Constant Contact, and the more expensive guys on top. Gotcha. Cause you guys do some interesting stuff where you have like little pop-ups and stuff, um, tailored for like like, how does that work yeah we have a little widget it's just like an like a little toaster pop-up like olark chat window or something in the lower right so we have a widget there or something yep and so you can do it in the anywhere on your site right you can do upper right lower right you can do a, a kind of an exit intent thing where if someone's gonna you know leave then it pops up or you can do just after a certain amount of time and we built that frankly because when we when we launched, there weren't very many good tools to just be able to add a snippet of JavaScript and start capturing emails everywhere on your site. And so people were having to do the embedded forms, which was kind of the old school way of doing it, we thought. And turns out we were a little bit ahead of the curve because within, let's say, six to 12 months of when we launched, we started seeing others come out with it, like the, you know, like Sumo Me and Optin Monster and those folks as standalones. And we had, you know, kind of gotten out ahead of that curve. And so these days when our customers sign up, they now have a choice because of course, Sumo Me and Optin Monster integrate with us, you know, so you can come through them at Leadbox as well from Leadpages. But for, for us, you know, a lot of our customers just use our widgets because they can, they can style them the way they want. And the, the integration's obviously tight into the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's really cool is you can do some really powerful targeting too, right? Yeah, targeting in terms of of all the emails you're sending because you can, you know, based on what people do, I mean, you can say, hey, if someone is not a customer, because as soon as someone subscribes, now you have their email and you can tell, you know, do they go log in or have they already signed up with that email? Then you know that they are a customer or you might know that they're a trial user or you know that they're just a, a lead, you know, a marketing prospect, so to speak. And so when we send our emails, we... Back in the day, we were sending, you know, if we were using a, a platform like an AWeber, Constant Contact, you kind of had these lists and you might have the same person on all three lists and they're getting duplicate emails and 
uh, or not getting targeted ones. And in a tool like Drip or other marketing automation tools that, that are our competitors, you can segment that and you can just say, boom, I want to send this particular email only to customers. I want to send this particular email only to prospects who have visited the site and visited the pricing page three times in the last week. I mean, you can literally get down to that level of granularity when you're running your, you know, running your deals, moving them into and out of campaigns and, and sending specific stuff like Black Friday sales is a good example because you can really just target the people you think are most interested. Hey guys, so I just wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about our sponsor of today's show, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is one of the world's leading cloud accounting-based software platforms out there. And see, the truth is we get pitched every single week by potential sponsors and it's not very often that we actually say yes. However, I couldn't say no when the guys at FreshBooks got in touch with us. Why? Because they're simply an amazing startup and they take all of your accounting headaches away. They make things extremely simple for you to manage your books, even if you're not a numbers person. They have a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices extremely simple. And it takes about 30 seconds. And if you want to keep track of your expenses, you know you can actually use their mobile app to take pictures of your receipts and FreshBooks organizes them for later. So it makes claiming your expenses at tax time a breeze. FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all our listeners, totally free right now, and you don't even need to use your credit card for the trial. So to claim your free month of FreshBooks, go to freshbooks.com slash foundermag and enter foundermag in the how did you hear about us section. All right, guys, now let's jump back into the show. You know, a a lot of people uh, struggle with the concept that you don't need money to start a business. Are you able to, it depends, it depends obviously on the kind of business, but if you want to start an online business, for the most part, you don't always need as much money as as is perceived. I would agree. And I think think the myth that you need a lot of money is perhaps because people think of online businesses as, or, you know, or startups as, what we see in the movies and in the press. And there's this whole class of business or category of business that is not that difficult to start. You got to learn some stuff. You might need a few dollars to start it, but things like e-commerce websites or small software products or add-ons for WordPress. Like I have friends who are making full-time incomes now from WordPress plugins, you know, and these things are, I mean, these things are not, you can start, I, the way I view it is if you have, you have three, there's three commodities. There's your time, there's skill set, and there's money, okay? So time and money are probably pretty obvious what they are. Skill set, if you, you can either, tends to be online, you can either a marketer or you're a developer or you have both. So of those three, which is time, skill set, and money, if you have two of those three, you can launch an online business. So I don't, you don't need much money if you have time and a skill set, right? If you only have a skill set and money, you can do it. You don't have much time, but you can certainly manage and pay people to do it. And if you only have time and money, then you can learn one of the skill sets and hire the other one. So that's how I, I view it as kind of this trichotomy. And if you get two of the three, money is not the requirement, but you, if you don't have any money, then you are going to need to invest a lot of time and learn some skills that you don't, if you don't have them already. Mm, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way to think about it. So what would the next step be? Like, you know, you've launched maybe an MVP or you've, you know, you've 
you're a bootstrap startup, you're self-funded it, and uh, you know you might have a co-founder, you might be working on some sort of web app or online e-commerce or something along those lines. What's the next step, Rob? Like, like you know, you you said that you're you're, you're only just dangerous enough to be decent at marketing. Like, if you can't afford to pay for customer acquisition, or you might only be able to be able to do that on a small scale, what what do you recommend? Well, at at that point, once you've just launched, hopefully you started building a pre-launch list before you ever launched, frankly, before you ever started writing any code, because that's something I highly, highly recommend, is to start marketing the day you start coding, in essence. And so you've launched, hopefully not to crickets, you've launched to a list of 100 or 1,000 or 5,000 people of some kind, so that you have some type of revenue coming in. So on that day now, you're handling support and you're, you're trying to figure out who's using my app or buying for my e-commerce site, where did they come from, why are they buying, who's not buying, and why are they not buying. You're really trying to figure out who your people are because you're, as a bootstrapper, you're going to need to choose a niche or maybe two niches. It's very, very hard to start a horizontal business. If you're going to start a horizontal business, meaning you're going to cover many niches or all niches, something like a Microsoft Word you know, where anybody can use it, you really need to raise funding. That's an instance where you're, you're just not in the game. But if you want to build a niche e-commerce site for people who do fly fishing or a niche SaaS app for you know freelance web designers, that's where we're, we're really talking about it. And so on that first day, I would A, be trying to figure out who the best customers are for us, who's really getting value, and then B, I'd start making lists of where do they hang out and how can I reach them. And a good place to start is a book called Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Maris, and he lists 21 channels of traction channels. They're marketing channels. And so there is thing, there's organic SEO, there's, you know, AdWords, there's in-person events. He just goes down the list and he interviewed, he and Justin interviewed one expert in each of those areas. And that's what the chapter focuses on. And in fact, it's the book that I wanted to write. I wanted that to be my follow-up. I loved the idea. And when he wrote it, I said, boom, I don't have to write that now. So I, I recommend it to everybody if you are just trying to dip your toe in the water of this stuff, because it gives you such a nice survey, you know, of all the ideas that eventually you may need to learn. Now, you, if you get one or two channels really working for you, you can build a great bootstrap business on it. You may not be able to get to $100 million, but do you need that? You know, what about getting to $100,000 if you're solo or 200000 if you're working with a, a buddy? It's like that's, that can bring you a lot, a lot of freedom. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point. And I really like how you said if you find one or two channels because the goal should be right to find – one to two channels, not try and you know cover all twenty that that maybe Gabriel mentioned in his book, right? That's right. Especially as a small team, because you can't manage, you can't be good at that many. You really need to be good at what's working, and you need to chuck everything that's not working and not try to maintain it just because the latest social media expert is touting, you know, some new Instagram ad or something. It's like if if that's not going to work for your business, you you can't dive into it because you can't get good enough at so many things mm, i agree you like um you know like the stuff like we're doing with instagram that's a massive lead generation channel for us like we've built a, an email list a, a big part of it on instagram like from zero was about this time last year was about three thousand fast forward to now it's close to one hundred twenty thousand mainly grown from instagram that's been a massive customer acquisition channel for us but you know people say you should be doing this should be doing that i'm like 
nah, like I just want to focus on Instagram because that that's just what's working for us, you know? Exactly. And that's, you know, you've done that and you mentioned App Store SEO when you came on our podcast. It sounds mm. like you had two or three that really worked for you. And with Drip, we have two or three that are really working for us. And it's none of the things you mentioned because we're different businesses. And so th that's what you have to figure out is what's going to work in your situation and to try to follow and listen to people that are doing something very similar to you. So if, if you run a SaaS app and it's Bootstrap, try to find someone running a Bootstrap SaaS app. Don't go listen to someone launching the next Facebook or, you know, Paul Graham, I respect him a ton, but if he says something, you may, it may not apply to you because you have to put it through a filter of like, does that only make sense if you're trying to build a billion dollar business? Mm, yeah, that's such a good point. So out of curiosity, what are the two to three channels that are working for you in terms of growth right now? We have a couple, let me think, the, you know, one which is such a, it used to feel like a cop-out to me. It is a little bit of a cop-out. I don't like it when people say this, but frankly, our word of mouth is very good. We, we, people who use our product love our product and they tell other people about it. And that is going to always, if you can build that channel, it will always be your best channel. Yeah, the only you can't beat that. Nope. Because, because as soon as people tell another person and they come in, they're just ready to use it. They're looking for red flags. That's, that's it. You know, other than that, they're already sold on it. So if you can build that by providing amazing support, great experience, a great tool at a good price, you know, I mean, all these things that will, that will build it. If you've built a no brainer tool, barring that the other channels are working for us, content marketing, it's working these days, you know, the, with, with the advent of social media and, uh, and medium. And there's so many channels, you know, the hacker news, growth hackers, inbound.org, just all these places where people are hanging out. There are a lot of ways to amplify your content if you're producing high quality stuff. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of another one that's big. Well, I mean, my, my audience is, is doing well, right? I have, since I have all the software entrepreneurs that, that I'm talking to, um, they give me the benefit of the doubt and they've tried drip out and I've gotten customers from there. Those are probably, those are probably the top three I would, I'd throw out. Mm, awesome. 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 So I guess the next question I have for you, Rob, is if you're, and this, and this is, would be definitely the case for some people, you know, listening and, and reading, if you're at, you know, I guess in your business, you're past, uh, you know, paying your, your salary and, and, and you're, you're a little bit past solopreneur and you've got a couple of, of staff on and you want to build like, you know, an eight figure business. What's next, man? Like, do you, do you think it is wise? Can you, can you, can it still be done to just continually be, be self-funded? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I definitely think it, it can be done. Um, there are a lot of examples of, of folks doing just that. I think you have to ask yourself a couple questions. One is, are we in a space that you know is going to give us a, a decade or two of stability? So what I mean by that is, if you are basing your app and you've grown to, like you said, a few hundred thousand, but you are based entirely on the Twitter API, my answer to that would be probably not going to stick around for, you know, they're just changing mm. stuff. Or if you rely heavily on Google and some stuff that they have, they, they, they shut down APIs all the time. I mean, they've, they've done some damage to people. So if you're in kind of not so solid ground, then I would say it might be time to think about either diversifying and going in another direction or perhaps selling your app if you want, or just keep running it, realizing that boy, you don't want to build an eight-figure business and then have it swept out from under you, right? So that's kind of the first question I like to think because I've had, you know, Hittail itself was almost put out of business. We had to rewrite a big piece of it when Google did some shenanigans with Not Provided and Panda and Penguin. Yeah, wow. 
So that's the first thing to think about. But once you're past that, then it's just a question of, do I keep bootstrapping it or you know, self-funding it? Or do I raise a round? Like you can raise a small round these days and never have to raise again if you raise it from the right people. Um, there are people like myself or David Hauser, founder of Grasshopper, Indie.VC, who are putting in a small angel round up front with, without the expectation of you raising a Series A and going on to $100 million and without the expectation of you moving into a major city and working the 80-hour weeks. And so that could be an interesting source if you have a business that's like David Hauser's requirement. He was just on Rocketship Podcast. He said if they're doing, I think it's between 500000 and a million in annual revenue and they're consistent and they have a repeatable process that they're writing checks in that area. And so... That's an interesting way if you decide that you do need capital to scale. But I mean, it's really up to you. Like, you know, if if you if you're covering your expenses and you're okay with some just some slow growth over the next five years or ten years and you're cool to keep working on your business, why not do that? You know, there's not a huge downside to it. We have to work towards wrapping up, but this is something that um, I'm finding is coming up amongst our audiences. Is, you know, once you're at that stage that we discussed, you know, you've you've got you might have a few staff and and you you know anywhere between a couple hundred thousand to the million mark in terms of annual annual run rate. What advice do you have for people to to go from I guess a solo entrepreneur and a solo founder to to a CEO? Yeah, that's a good question. First question is ask yourself, do you want to do that? Because I don't necessarily think that you have to have to do that. I think that some people want more flexibility, more freedom, and to be able to remain as a solo founder. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you've decided, if it's best for you and your family and the lifestyle you want. Barring that, if you decide you do want to grow, which many of us do, I think that the biggest lessons that I've learned is by being around other founders who are doing the same thing and who are just ahead of me. And so that is by by reading interviews in in magazines like Founder. It's by listening to podcasts like this one or you know, maybe Startups for the Rest of Us or um, Rocketship where they interview or Mixergy. And it's going to conferences where you are able to touch base and connect with people. And I'm in, a, I'm in two different mastermind groups, which is just three of us sitting down, one is on Skype, one is in person. And the folks who are just enough ahead of me are able to teach me, you know, I ask them questions like when, when I was hiring my first employee, like, okay, so how do I manage payroll? Okay, so do you have to give health benefits? Okay, so, you know, I mean, it's those questions that, that you can get some guidance from. And then the other place, to be honest, that I've done so much learning is audiobooks. There are so many good books on this topic of kind of becoming, you know, a, a leader and a manager and a CEO. And while a lot of them are fluff there, there are some that I've dug into. And even just listening to people like uh, Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, listening to their biographies and learning how they kind of transform themselves. I've gotten a lot of inspiration from it. And I think that, I think it takes time as you do this. And I think at first it's, it's a big choice and it's, it can be hard. Um, but yeah, the more experience you get, you know, if you've started a business and gotten it to the point you said between a couple hundred and, and seven figures, you have the skill set to, to kind of do whatever you want. Like you are a very unique and gifted, talented person at that point. I mean, you're just, not many people can do that. So have the confidence in yourself to, you know, that if you want to do it, to know that you can pull it off and you can learn what it takes to, to be good at it. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. Um, any notable resources for anyone? Like you said, you've got a lot of gold from audiobooks. Uh, any or any books in particular that you would like to recommend? 
I'm actually trying to think of, I've, I have 300 audiobooks in my Audible account and I've listened to all of them. So often wow. recalling a single book is pretty hard. There's one called the 80-20 Manager that I liked that is less about being a CEO, but it is really good about figuring out what type of person you are and how you work and how you can interact with, with folks that you work with. That might be one off the bat. Because, yeah, I think when it comes to you, when you go from like, you know, we talk about, you know, self-funded, solopreneur, solo founder, and then, you know, you get some traction, you got product market fit, and you get anywhere between, you know, that scale that I talked about in terms of annual run rate. I think it would be quite easy to get bored, like, like from, from where I'm sitting, because as an entrepreneur, you can get bored easy, you know, and, and, and you always want more and you're ambitious and, and it's just so exciting, so much fun that, uh a lot of the time, you would you would want to keep moving the needle forward, and and scale matters. And if scale matters, you need to grow your team, right? I mean, to a certain extent, you don't you certainly don't need to grow it as much as as a lot of these Silicon Valley companies. I don't know if you recently saw Gumroad scale back from twenty two employees to three. And really? The was, yep. And the reason was is they said because the other night were not crucial to running the business. They had raised a round in 2012. They had scaled up because that is what you do. If you don't do that, your investors are pissed. I mean, they want you to hire because it shows that you're growing or whatever. I, I don't quite understand that, to be honest. But And then they <laughs> apparently, you know, this is in TechCrunch, so it's not like I yeah. know firsthand, but uh, apparently they didn't have the revenue to support 22 people. So when they scaled back, they, you know, laid off 19 people. And um and they're now functioning on three. So wow. all that said, I mean, Gumroad is being run by three people, you know, and Drip, yeah. which is a pretty substantial uh, business at this point, is run by five people. So it depends on what business you're in, right? Mm. I mean, software does scale really well. So you do need to hire more people, but you don't, I don't believe that you need to be at 50 people in order to run a, a, a eight-figure business. I think you can do it with, I think you can do it with, you know, 10, 10 to 20. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's awesome. All right, well, yeah, look, Rob, this has been a great conversation, man. There's there's a lot to take away, especially around bootstrapping and stuff like that and just, just being a founder. Um, where's the best place that people can find you? But also before we wrap on that, is there any final words of, of wisdom that you wanted to share? You know, one other, yeah, one, I'll just leave it with this. There's another book that I've read about transitioning to that next level and it's called startup ceo and it's pretty sure it's written by brad feld and that is another book that i think people if, if you're in that situation that you can learn a lot from awesome awesome all right um yeah so where's the best place people can find you man like you oh actually one last question do you mind if i ask one last question of course yeah that's great um dude you do so much stuff like like give us like how do you manage it all man you know I don't try to launch multiple things at once. I don't try to grow multiple things at once because that's the mistake that people make. It's you're, you're too splintered. At this point, I am focused. I'm all in on drip and I'm running the company. All the other stuff I launched years ago. And so MicroConf now, we run it twice a year, once in Vegas, once in Europe, but we have help. And we have help who's been with us for three years. So they, in essence, run the nuts and bolts. I show up recruit speakers and speak. You know, I don't actually do that much with it. Same with the podcasts. I have two podcasts. I show up, maybe write an outline, but it's on my terms. I don't do any of the editing. I don't post to WordPress. You know, it's, so it's, it's getting systems in place. Each time launching one is a bunch of effort, but then once it's on homeostasis, you can, you can get away with pretty slim time commitment for these things. And that's really, uh, that's how I've been able to do it. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, in regards to systems and stuff like that, is there any any notable tools that you recommend? No, I mean, for systems, I more would would recommend a couple books like Work the System uh, that talks about designing systems. And then I liked Built to Sell. It's a pretty simplistic, it's a little parable, but it's a pretty cool thought process if you've never thought about why you should system systemize your business um those are those are two that should uh should get you on the way awesome all right well look uh where's the best place people can find you rob if folks want to hear more i'm basically chatting about this stuff for 30 minutes every week uh, pod, on a podcast called startups for the rest of us awesome 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 Okay, well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Rob. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap there, but it's been an absolute pleasure, my man. Absolutely, man. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Founder Podcast has come to a close, but it's not time to sleep. It's time to hustle. Download the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine for free right now by visiting foundermag.com slash Branson. Again, that's an absolutely free download of the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine containing an exclusive interview with the man himself. It's only available at foundermag.com slash Branson. So download it now and we'll see you next time on the Founder Podcast. <laughs>